0: Welcome to the King's Cost dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. And uh, good morning to those listening online. Um, before I start, I just want to um, just say it's not by mistake that... Um, Danga articulated what he articulated i mean in churches nowadays we want to be politically correct we should be challenged i come here to be challenged not only by the word of god but challenged and sharpened by my brothers and my sisters in christ and i think if we come to the building and forget that's the place where god can start to work or start something new or give us a new direction i think we have misunderstood the purpose of church So thank you for bringing that. It might be like the BAU of church, the behind the scenes, but it's important. Amen? So please, all these, take into heart. If you can help a department, by all means, get vested in. Um, Again, I remember when I first joined this church and uh, Pastor Peter Kavanaugh was then the the senior pastor in the church. And, um, you know, I wanted to hide, I will tell you the truth just didn't want to do anything. wanted to sit, listen to messages, and, and go every Sunday. And I came from a place of, of service, you know. Um, and then he, he told me, oh, what were you doing before? And I'm like, I've been found out. Um, and he said, oh, look, at the end of the day, I'd like you to be involved. That's the pastor of the church telling you that. I'd like you to be involved. Um, I'm not going to give you any pressure, to put any pressure on you. But why don't you start in the stewardship? Why don't you start being a steward? And I'm saying, what does it mean to be a steward in King's Church? You do the toilet, you get the door, you get the bin, you do all these things. And there is wisdom in that because you start learning how to serve the people. You start learning that service to the people, washing the feet of the people, is what matters. There is no one too big for such a job. Christ had compassion throughout his life, throughout his existence for us to be saved and he started with that so by the time you come in king's church don't come as i am entitled to anything get vested in you know it's your church it's our family so let's sharpen one another if my brother tells me look you're not well dressed or i don't like the way you talk to me i should be able to pick it up i shouldn't be able to put myself on a pedestal and say get it behind me satan no (laughs) i should take it on and be humble enough So we have a job to do. We have to look after the church that God has given us to to build it together, to strengthen one another, and to help. Amen? So let's do it. Um, I feel that uh, I want you to step up. Please stand up. Uh, We are going to pray. I just want um, us to pray. Let's hold hands, please, with one another. Don't, you know, hand too tight. Don't hold too tight. Just hold hands. And we're just going to invite God. I know God is in this place. And again, thanks, Ruth and the band for excellent worship this morning. Um, but And again, thanks, Danga, for taking us to communion. Let's just pray right now. I just want us to be going beyond the singing, beyond the music, beyond the dynamics of church. And let's just have our hearts before God this morning. Let's pray. Let's be naked before him. And let's surrender to him. It's important we do that, otherwise, it will just be another sermon. It will just be another word. It will not come into our hearts. And that's not the purpose of me being here or you being here. It will be a fallacy if I make mockery of the time you vest to come and hear the word of God. And so you wrote it to yourself to be truthful before your father right now and ask, the Lord, let's pray, let's repeat our me. Lord. We draw near to you today, Lord. I open my heart unto you, Lord. Speak to me. Let me receive your word, O Lord, with gladness. Have your way in me this morning. Shape me. Transform me. I surrender to you. I open my heart to you, Lord. Do that which you want to do. And let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And, Father, I thank you, and I commit myself before you this morning, Lord. Um, know your servant, John, preached last, last week, and he says that we are postmen of God. And I pray, Lord, that you, you will use my tongue, Lord, to articulate that which you want. Your children to hear this morning with accuracy, Lord. And I therefore pray, Lord, that I will diminish, that you will increase, and that the word will come with clarity in Jesus' mighty name. Right. So, again, I thank Pastor Phil. He's away. Thank him for really this opportunity for me to be before you. I do not take it lightly. Um, I am always behind, waiting until the last minute to get something done and prepared. Other ministers, other pastors, other preachers, they will actually have an insight way before, and that's great. But what I've always done, and maybe I need to change as well, is to wait until God confirms the word. Otherwise, you take a sermon off the shelf, and because you can speak, then you will speak it, and you will have no power, you will not intend the purpose, even if it is a good sermon. Um, I don't normally bother myself about how well the sermon is articulated because behind it is not my word. I want to believe behind it is the spirit of God that makes things active in your heart. I will not know if you leave and you sit here and look at me and think, well, I need to, to go home. I will not know. But God knows where you sit. He knows how you sit. He knows what is in your mind, what is in your heart. He knows exactly how to meet you. And you will come to church Because maybe you are serving, and I'm speaking to those who serve in this church. You may come to church because you are on the rota. But God is in church because you are his son or his daughter. And equally, if you are on the rota, he also wants to speak to you. And you may not be on the rota, but God also wants to speak. So I always want to say, Lord, what is it that you really want to speak to your children? So that is not yet another sermon. I want you to speak. Um, And I wait. So I pray and I wait. And when God says, this is it, I'm like, are you sure? This is it. Then I write it down. And it takes me a bit more time. And then uh, I do checks here and there to make sure that I'm not having my own doctrine. Because then the punishment is too great, isn't it? So let's see what God has to say to you today. So last week, something that really hit me last week is Dr. Sharon Stone. How many of you were at the conference last week? Right? It was a great conference, isn't it? And we thank God and we thank Pastor Phil for putting all these things together. But last week she was here ministering to us, and, and she said something that really hit me. She said, many of you, many of you have been fighting battles. Many of us have been fighting battles. And we are like, yeah, 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 yeah we've been fighting battles. And then she goes, shame on you. And I'm like, wow. And she said, all battles are not meant to be fought, if you remember what she said all battles, you are not meant to fight all battles. Some of these battles, if not the majority of our battles, are meant to be fought by the Lord. See, the battle is mine. But we fight our battles. So we effectively disable God for moving in our situation because we think we know better than him. Because we think we can outsmart it. Because we think that we can see the scheme of the enemy way in advance. But we can't. That's foolishness. And she said it, and I was like, wow, it's true. It's true. Fighting our battles, what does he mean? There are ways to fight a battle in which you know that you are a victor, and that is according to what this, this book is saying. And there is a way to fighting a battle. Because the Bible still tells us that for the weapon of our warfare, are not, they are not in the flesh, they are not carnal, but they are mighty. And it translates as mighty only because it is by God. Amen i want to be totally transparent with you today and part of this message when i was even finalizing the touch yesterday was do i really need to expose myself that way and god told me you are not exposing you are going to encourage you are not there to complain you are going to leave people off. because your testimony say the testimony of the righteous make wise the simple so i need to share my testimony Not because I want to be talking about me, 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 me. But because through the midst of this situation, you will understand that God is still the one who rules. Amen? And where you sit here today, I feel it is important that you understand that God, your Father, rules in your life. You have to focus. I think you mentioned it very well, Brother Danga, from the onset on communion. He says, many of us... He'll use the book of Galatians, but he said, Many of us, we forget, we get distracted. And he said, God wants to bring us back to the covenant. That's why he said, I mean, when he's spoken from the pulpit, please open your ears and and, and receive. God wants our focus not being distracted by the things of life, by the challenges, by the happenings, by the things that crush our spirit. Remember who is calling us. Why have we been called, and how we can then go on fulfilling that calling? So the Bible, as is a book that gives life, the Word of God gives life, we are going to look into um, Psalm 46 this morning. And we know it by heart, I know. We can quote it, I know. But please, let's read it. Let's read it, and let's see what God says. And for the sake of the title today, I will say the title is Be Still. Be Still. Now, there is something that I also want to thank God for, the uniqueness in which he confirms his word. And that's why I thank Lisa for coming this morning and stepping by faith and sharing that word. Because whilst I don't have Psalm 18, what she mentioned, one step at a time, is effectively a godly strategy. It's a godly strategy, especially in spiritual warfare especially when we don't see what tomorrow is made of when we don't see what even today is made of when we don't understand and can easily get confused by the plans of the enemy the attacks of the enemy so thanks for stepping up because he confirms that which god is speaking today so be still let's read psalm 46 um i will take it He <coughs> said be still Psalm 46, I will actually read from verse 1. God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountain shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God, is in the midst of her, shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations rage, kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. Can we repeat that? The Lord of hosts is with us. Let's take it again. The Lord of hosts is with us. Now speak and attribute it to yourself. The Lord of hosts is with me. Amen. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bar, cut the spears in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be. Exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And as we sit here this morning, the first question that I do have, I always ask this question which no one answers, but let's let's go. How do you feel today? How is your walk with Jesus today? What makes you tick? What makes you Joyful, happy. What are you thriving on today? I'm not saying tomorrow. The question is, do you feel like you are a chosen generation? Chosen generation are crumbling people. There are two different things, and that's the first aspect we want to look at. Let's look at 1 Peter 2. 9, 10. And I've got two versions there. One from the message version and one from NKJV. The first one is that we should always remind ourselves how God sees us. I've asked you a question, how do you see yourself? But really, is that relevant? It is relevant in the day-to-day that you live. It is relevant in the way you relate to your family, to your peers. It is relevant in the way you are seen by society. It is relevant for you. And it is also relevant in the way you engage with your father, with God. It is relevant how you see yourself, because the way you see yourself is the way you behave, is the way you conduct yourself, is the way you obey, is the way you push yourself for righteousness and pursue holiness, or you may not. But also is the way that you either accept the viles and the deceptions and the lies of the enemy, or you actually reject that irrespective of how things are around you. So First Peter 2, nine ten, 10, the message says, but you are the ones chosen by God. So you sit here today, you are chosen. But you are the one chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, even if it means coffee, even if it means serving the tables, even if it means ministering on one-to-one in King's Church. Chosen for the high calling of priests, we were chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that God has made for you. Do you see the testimony coming there? If you understand who you are in Christ, you will be able to actually use your mouth to speak about Christ, about his testimony, and that's where my testimony hopefully will encourage you, but you will also look at the fact that You are God's instrument, and the instruments that are in God's hand, oh boy, oh boy, they are 24-7. They are sharpened every time, or they continue to get sharpened, because they've got a job to do. To tell others of the night and day difference is made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Now, NKJV said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood? Do you feel as royal right now? Now, let's be honest. We say this morning we want to be honest. Do we feel royal? Yes? You do. That's good. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, is on special people. When the going gets tough, we are no longer God's special people, is it? Because our mind is telling us otherwise. The mountains we see is telling us otherwise. The battles we face is telling us otherwise. The vision that is not coming to pass is telling us otherwise. No. We're no longer special people. Because he has known us, he's written us in the palms of his hands. He sees us. His spirit is with us, in us, for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. He says, his own special people, for the purpose that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We once were not the people, but now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So this is the way your Father sees you, as you see this morning. And when I say it is important, it's because this is what God says, and therefore that's what goes. The way you see yourself, maybe then you need to realign yourself with the Word of God, so that you could then be that instrument, and so that you can be His mouthpiece, and so that you could be. Fruitful in good works. Amen? But then the reality is that. Life. That's our reality. Pastor Phil always says it's not on Sunday. You know, Sunday is all nice, we're all happy, we're all smiling. The reality is life. And life is, you know, Sunday is part of life, but life is not on Sunday. For most of us, we have to go back to work. We've got to go back to families, to businesses. We've got to go back to conditions that we see are defining us. That's the elephant in the room. And I think that's what we need to address today. The elephant in the room is that though we sing hymns and songs of praise, each of us, or if each of us, face this kind of challenge. It can be a challenge with your spouse, it can be a challenge with your children, it can be a challenge with your finances, name it. Do you think about the inventory that God receives on the prayer log, like his entry? I'm not talking about his entry. Say God goes to business on Monday, assuming he's off on Sunday, right? (laughs) Right? Assuming he goes to business to work on Monday and he has, first thing, his entry and he has to match the emails that have come. So, so many angels have forwarded your prayer request to him and they've come into his email address, right? So, how many, what's the population of the the, the earth? now? 7 billion. How many of those are supposedly Christians? We don't know, right? But assuming that we are even 2 billion Christians. 2 billion emails on a Monday. No, that's assuming every Christian prays. So, let's say 40% of that. What's the math? Who can do the math? But he gets these emails, and he has to address that. And at the same time, he has the entry. The angels have also deposited things that have come urgent attention. And the urgent things, the list is big. Needs urgent attention, master. Please, please. Say, okay, I'm in control. And he does just that, and everything is sorted. You know, if I look at my inbox, I mean, come on. Even the one I've opened since 1999, when I started university... There's still junk in there. There's still things that I'm like, how on earth no, have I still got this email? And I cannot clear it. Every time I want to clear one, there are 50 more that come. Junk, spams. And I can't live with it. I'm like, maybe I should disconnect that email address. But God is aware of our situation. God is mindful of what we go through every single day. And what is on our mind is, is, is really, at the moment, more the frequency And the violence of the attacks and the challenges that we do face, let's not underestimate it. If all is well for you today, then praise the Lord. But maybe the person next to you is in a dire situation. You know, emotionally, physically, the person is completely drained. Maybe the person that sits next to you is feeling like giving up today. And you know what? We come to church and say, how are you? Before the person answers, we move on to the next one. But that's church. Let's face it. How are you? We haven't heard, I'm fine, I'm not fine. But we move on to the next one. We are distracted because we need to meet as many people before the 10 a.m. starts. But if it is, you just took time for the one. And that's why we are here today, took time for the one. So that the how are you is more like ministry time. It's more like encouragement time. It's more like don't worry, it's going to be fine. It's not just a song. It's because you are in me and I'm in you. Amen. So the God that you serve today is with you. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about myself and effectively the way I feel that for a long time, um, some of you know me, you mentioned a couple of things earlier on, Danga. yes, I, I have a medical condition, right? I have a medical condition, and um, sometimes it does require me to go and get sorted, whatever that means, get sorted. Um, it's something that I've got since life, since I, since I was born, so something that ultimately... I started using the two letters, my, and attach it to my name, my sickness. Do you, do you, do, I, I'm, I'm getting real now. My sickness. I don't think it's necessary to say the name of the condition. It's, it's irrelevant. But I started using the word my and attach it to the name Jean-Louis. So that it has actually defined me. Whether I wanted it or not, it has defined me. Because when people see me, how are you is more, how are you feeling? How is your health? Is not how is your wife, Is not how is your son. Maybe that comes after, if it is ever asked. But it's, it's not in the church, it's everywhere. So it's my network. It's been what I call my poverty. In fact, because of me using that my Effectively, many people have jumped on this bandwagon of negativity. It is negativity. I've admitted to myself that that was my life, that was me, and I will have to live with this condition until God calls me back home. And beyond putting the brave face, the pain is real, it's hard. I joke sometimes I have a high pain threshold. Why? You see, we need to be careful about what our mouth confess. We need to be very, very careful. The Bible says that God created the world with those words. We create with our word. We create the environment, or we can change the environment. We create negativity, or we create positivity. Because enabled by the Spirit of God, what we speak. Give life or death because the bible tells us that the power of life and death are where in the tongue so it's not just for you testing the food and thinking i'm coming on african night to have new flavors right? it is effectively how you create life around you and thank you for many people and they recognize themselves who have been encouraging me around the you know Uh, Among the journey, on the journey, and and praying for me. Do you know that now when I have a headache, I'm saying I've not drunk enough water, that's a headache. Oh, is it that again? So I have to retrain myself in looking at my situation with the lens that I put on. But these lens are not of God. These lens are not of God. And I've not been any the wiser because it has been going on for 40-odd years. It is from birth. So whether my time in Cameroon in Africa for all these years, where it was every three weeks, interrupting the schooling, you know, having my mom on the stairs praying, carrying men praying, trying to put air back in my lungs because they were just collapsing. Whether it is me being a stud- student in France and trying to sit exams in the midst of the pain, not to fail the exam, or me coming to the U.K., Not to be on a bicycle only to collapse on Newmarket Road. On my way to London. Not being able to take air in. You are sitting and you are breathing. And that's the power of God. He gives life. He gives life. And never, the time you start underestimating the power of God, and the time you start taking for granted the fact that you are alive, then you do not understand who your God is. We are not entitled to this life. Many started... The day yesterday, who are not here today. So let's get things into perspective as to who we are. And let's understand that we need to redeem the time. It's in God's own eye. Amen? So I've got this medical condition. I call that crisis, you know? So when I've attached the my, I realize also that my family, and when I say family, I'm talking about my siblings. I've got three of them. The same thing. The way they engage with me is always on that level. So it's families. Within family, you can see that. My co-workers, because of a couple of crises that have made me leave Canary Wharf in London, running for a train and never making it to Cambridge, having to be um, transported by an A&E on the back having collapsed on a platform, it, it's my, my life, is it? It's mine. I put the my... Many times I go to the hospital and, yes, we can joke. Yes, it is ministry times. Yes, I can go in and encourage people there. The reality is this. I go there on a trolley and I don't know if I will come out. That's the reality. Because I've lost family. Because I know how hard it can be. So, on that front, it does damage. Mentally, it does damage in terms of you missing out who you are in Christ because of what you see every single day it does damage in the way you engage with your family your loved ones because raising a 7 year old with things that daddy is now spending his birthday in hospital as opposed to being with me on a playground matters it does matter in terms of what is the message that you give to a 7 year old but this is where i am because i've put mine and i've done that for 40 odd years my wife is a medic bless her thank god for the medic but at times and many a times she wasn't able to go and work in hospital throughout the country because the people looking after me were our direct colleagues direct colleagues you access all the data all the medical history of your husband is just before us so you can't even look after him that's also a reality It brought so many fears to my life, and I was like, hmm. So every year that I've been starting over the past 40 years, I'm like, when I became a Christian, Lord, this is the way I'm starting the year. This is my expectation. This is your promises, and I will align myself to that. Let's go. But then since November last year, what happened? November to August this year, every single month, once to twice, twice. Admitted to the hospital. By the way, this is not talking about the crisis behind, which don't need to go to the hospital. And that's when I start to say, Enough is enough. Enough is enough of me being battered in here that I will have to actually go through. I say, Enough is enough that I will not take on me the healing power of God and the promises of God that He makes to His children. Not that I want to deny what's happening, but it is no longer mine. And therefore, I declare and I speak that that which God will do, he will do. And I speak that I will not be sorrowful, but I will praise him. Because the Bible says that the dead, O Lord, cannot praise you. But we who live can praise your holy name. I have reasons today to rejoice, to praise God, to lift his name, and to thank him for what he does. So what I'm trying to say to you is the blood of Jesus removes the fact that I've crumbled. The blood of Jesus gives me that hope that I would not have had. I've been a Christian for a while, but I've actually faced this battle for a long time. And I can tell you that he wears you out. He wears you out. He wears you out. You get made redundant because of another reason. But you know the true reason is too many crises. Right? You get spoken to as if people say second part citizen because of the crisis. And I'm like, no, I am a child of God. Amen? You today sit here as a child of God. Your medical condition does not dictate who you are. It does not dictate anything because the life expectation is not what the medic says, is what God says. Yes. So you are here today, not because the finances are too tight. Everybody here has beautiful shoes, but they can be tight. And you do not know what the other one is wearing. But what I want to say to you is that no matter what your situation is, there is a God-solution, God-given solution. And God says today, Psalm be still. Be still. Why would he say that? Be still. It's not being still in terms of contemplating into the heavens and then being peaceful. We are sipping a cup of tea at home. I'm still. No, 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 no. It's true. You know, English has the beauty of sometimes being complex, even in the most simple thing. He's not being still in terms of being blissful. No. When God says be still, it's because he knows there is war around. There is the enemy lurking for you, for your life, for your soul, for your family, for your property, for your business, for your marriage, for your children. Right? The enemy is lurking. And he's not waiting for you to be, oh, as I've prayed and I fasted and now I'm ready for you. No. He's there 24-7, ready to pounce. You open the door, he comes in and he breaks in. He's a thief. He's a killer. He's a destroyer. And you want to be still. This is a physical, spiritual, emotional Battle that you cannot win without the Lord. Amen. I had to decide: why will my wife have to travel miles to see me? Why will I need to celebrate that birthday on an hospital bed? Why will I need to be more present in any world than in playground? I had to decide: why will I be unable to pick my Bible for days because the ability to read was blurred by all these opiates. Why would I have to know the name of tramadol, codeine, morphine, oxycodone, in various forms, shapes? I can tell the doctor I don't need IV, I don't need IV. I can tell them because I know. They don't come and argue. They are medical experts. I'm not. But those are 40 years of all this poison in my blood. (laughs) You start knowing how it works. So I had to refuse that. I have to stand on the word. That God is able. So you sit here today. Is your situation that bad that you cannot praise God? I mean, I go to these words. It's called oncology. It's people with terminal disease. It's people with cancer. And if you have cancer in this place, please know that God heals. You can have cancer, but God heals. It's not too far gone. We have... Testimonies in this place on the beauty and the mercies of God in terms of healing. So if it's depression or if it's whatever it is, name it. It is not written in heaven as something that is permanent. It is not. It is something here that troubles you, that buffets you, and sometimes tests you to the core, tests your fate, but it's not permanent. And the reality is that no matter how you jump because of panic or you cave in because of fear, It won't change anything. And that's why God said, be still. The battle is real. It's real there, but he said, be still. Be still because there is hope in me. Be still because there is a solution that I have for you for this situation. I always like to say, you know, that God's hand is not shortened. It's in my Bible. But as I use the example of being in God's entry. God reads. He doesn't need to scan. He reads. And in fact, the Bible says nothing comes to him without him knowing. He said before you even go to your father, he knows the things you have need of even before you ask. And if the Bible tells me that the, God, the eyes of the Lord are over the earth to and fro, then he sees me certainly. If the Bible says that he has deposited his spirit within me, then his spirit is connecting. That's not broadband connection. That's not 4G or 5G. This is connecting real time. that That's the distresses of your son and of your daughter, Lord. And he knows. And the Bible tells us, God, God is good. We sing it. So if, if God is good truly, and he knows, what do you think he's going to do? That's when you can second guess. Thank you. God knows your situation. God is aware of your situation. I don't know what you feel right now. You might feel that God has abandoned you, you might feel that God has not shown up for the whole three quarter of these years, but God is aware of your situation. Because he's aware of you, because he's mindful of you, because he knows the way you wake up and the way you go to bed. You go to bed. Because God is your creator. Because he has made promise to you, even before you were wrought in your mother's womb. Even before you came, he knew you. So he knows. But we believe the lies of the enemy that he's not aware, that he does not see us, that he's not able to save, he's not mighty to help, he's not able to move the mountains. We do, because of what we see. And therefore, there is an element where we need to understand the beast still is be still in God. We cannot be still depending on the nature of the challenge. If we look at the challenge too much or the trial too much, I trust you, some of our trials, we can't even speak about them. We can't even speak because we don't know where to start. The temptation and the strength of the enemy's attack sometimes make us like, boy, oh boy, where are we? How are we going to get out of it? And he's relentless, you see. When he starts in cycle, we always like talking about seasons in God. But when the enemy has his hand and you want to give him even that door, and sometimes you want to pray and you can't, but he will want to finish you off. I like I started watching a bit of boxing or following a bit of boxing recently and the brush talking of some of these, these boxers. And I came across this American champion, Deontay. Deontay Wilder. And it is said that the strength of his punch is like anything seen before in the realm of boxing. Like anything. One It's not just a knockout. It has the power to kill. The strength of it, the violence of it, the speed of it, can not only disarm opponents, but just kill them off. One. And every time Deontay Wilder started doing interviews, he wanted to meet Anthony Joshua. It never come to pass, but every time he does interview, he was saying, like, look... I have a family. I go into the ring. It is war. I don't want to die there because one knock can finish my life off. Brothers, sisters, one knock of the enemy can or has the potential to finish your life off. If you are not in God, it has. But guess what? You are in God. Amen? Amen. You are in God. So that will not happen. You are in God because God has his hands over you. And he has sent angels all around to look after you, to protect you, and to lead you. But the thing is this, is still subject to realizing that he is God and to accepting Christ Jesus as our Savior. And some of you are sitting here today and haven't made the call because maybe it's too much a message that we don't want to understand or it convicts us too much or we are uncomfortable about the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you the truth. We don't know what tomorrow is made of. We don't know if the next minute we will live. We don't know. And the question is, what will it be if you haven't accepted Christ? If truly Christ is real, if truly he's given his life for you, without anything, any costs associated to it for you, he died for you, free gift of salvation, and you're like, ah, I'm fine. Life is good. Let me carry on. It's a decision that you will not want to regret. It's a decision that you can't even reverse once you cross over to the other side because you will not be able to say, I wish I had it's too late. There's a big divide between the mortal, those who have passed on, and those who are resurrected in Christ. God is aware of our situation. Let's look at Proverbs fifteen three. He says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the wicked and the righteous. Amen? So God's eye is over you. God doesn't just contemplate the wicked and is happy about the wickedness. In fact, some to say he laughs or you should hold them into derision. But what is important in that scripture is God keeps a watch on you. God keeps a watch on you because he loves you. And because he loves you, he's the one who wants to encourage you this morning to be still. Because no matter what you do, you cannot sort out your situation yourself. Because no matter how clever you are, we are all in Cambridge, you cannot outsmart God. In Matthew 6, 8, we say he knows the things that we are in need of before we ask. In Psalm 115, 11, 13, he says, all who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. So he starts by us realizing that he's God, then trusting him, trust God. is your helper and your shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. The Lord is aware of our situation. and He's been mindful of us. Look at the next one. And he says, he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear him. Small and great. So, Right now, we have a unique opportunity to remind ourselves that God is aware of our situation. But then he still wants us to cry out to him. Do you realize that if you, if I'm aware of something you are going through and you haven't told me what it is, and by the way, I'm not expecting everybody to come and tell me that's what I'm going through. But if I'm aware of something that you are going through, but you have not come to tell me about it. You have not come to ask for help. Do you know that there is the possibility that I might not want to step in, not to invade that privacy, not to make you feel uncomfortable? But if it is someone that I know, and he has shortfall for the rent of the month, and God has just given me, say, some money, that I'm not doing much with it, the Bible says that to him who asks to God, that that person will receive so, if we know that God is aware of our situation, it's not because He's aware that He will do something. He's asking you to ask and to ask in faith. Yes, sometimes He does it because He does what He will, and that's God. But the reality says, Come to me, ask me, ask of me, seek me, knock at the door. He said to everyone who asks, they will receive. So if I know that my situation needs solution, I will not stay still and quiet. I will ask of God. The be still is be still, realizing that He is God, realizing that He is over everything, that He has control over everything. That's what is being still. But it doesn't mean that there is no call to action. The call to action is to first and foremost try and approach god you know there's something that has happened over the past week or so my boiler is fine i can tell you it's fine but then they come back with that smart reading thing where you know every time the energy or utility companies have the opportunity they come and change your meter for smart reading if you read between the lines it's just for them to get paid quicker that's all what it is they know what you will consume, they bill you, they get the money of your, and that's all. They don't want the cycle of three months, quarterly. They will tell you, yes, it's available. But all what they want is, oh, by the way, we can offer you the smart reader. And I'm like, okay, what's the benefit? Because I'm not paying for it. And nothing in this life except the gift of Christ is free. So why do you want to give me a smart meter? Oh, no, no, we just want to help you. Okay. So I start reading what is smart meter about. And the engineer comes to my house, and he says, we'll have to install it. And I'm like, okay, what does he do? Uh, I'm just an engineer. I don't know what he does. <laughs> That's the, the the response I was given. I don't know. I say, okay, and I'm going to give you that. You can put it in your kitchen. What does he do? Or you can have a nap about it. What does he do? So I don't know. So he said, can I actually cut your energy, your for your electricity for about an hour? I quickly fix things around. I say, sure. I have to tell my manager that I'm not online so that he doesn't think I'm gone shopping, and. An hour turned out to be two hours. And he said, I'm waiting for the code for the smart reader. And the network was down. So he never got the code. had to redo what he undid, and put the old meter back. So I'm still without a smart meter. <laughs> but the point is this, that I'm trying to make. When they change to give you a smart meter, they cut your electricity off. You realize that that electricity is vital in your house, even for your boiler sometimes to work. Even to send the signal to the boiler. You realize that the thermostat you can't. I wanted a cup of coffee. It was so cold. And I couldn't put the kettle on because no electricity. Now the thing is this. When it's very cold, and our situation are cold. As in they are unpalatable. They are really cold. We need to put up the heat. And the only way you can put up the heat is get closer to God. And pray and ask God, Lord, this situation is so, so cold. It's so difficult to do something, but not because it doesn't answer today. You press on. You press on until God answers. We cannot squeeze the end of God, but there is persistence that is required in prayer. We go in prayer knowing that our God hears. We go in prayer knowing that he's able to save. We go in prayer knowing that he's able to answer, and that ultimately is just a matter of time because he will speak solution. I want to take you to the book of Samuel, and I'm not going to read it, but Samuel, and the mother of Samuel, Anna. Sorry, Hannah, my pronunciation. She was longing for a child. She went with her husband, Elkanah, and at some stage was speaking to God. You see, men of God cannot always know everything, you know. The man of God, Eli thought she was drunk. She wasn't drunk. So sometimes you think that the man of God knows everything. He doesn't. He's just a man before he, you know. But he said, why are you drunk? She said, no, no, my Lord. I will not do this sin before my God. I'm not drunk. I'm sorrowful in spirit. And I'm asking my God to come through for me. Now, if you read at the, the first Samuel, the first chapter, it tells you that her countenance changed. So she prayed. She still is childless, right? When she finished praying, she's still childless. But she prays, and what happens first? Her continence change. When you pray, you need to believe that you have the petition to your request. That is what will make you change your continence and not look at the outlook around. It's my situation; is that dire? God cannot do anything. So, a continence change. First thing. The second thing, the Bible recalls that she went home. She was delighted, but then what? She pressed on. She kept on praying about the situation. She didn't say, because I went to make an offering to to the priest, and I actually made, you know, my plea to the Lord in the temple. Then I stopped praying. She prayed. She pressed on in prayer. And the Bible said the Lord answered and gave her Samuel. The Lord answered and gave her a child. She asked for a baby boy. She got the baby boy. She dedicated him to the service of the Lord. So the lesson here is this. <clears throat> Whether you see or you don't, press on. Because prayer is meant to manifest in the spiritual first. In the spiritual, it is answered and it manifests in the physical. Where we want to see the physical first without giving God the chance to work things out, then we don't get. We get the wrong end of the sick. The thing is this. When God is preparing good things for you, think about those those bakers, those who like bread, cakes, and name it. <clears throat> the children get excited. They put their fingers every time. It's just raw egg and, you know, weight and a bit of sugar sometimes. But they won't like to dip and taste. Their children, they get excited about that. Mommy, mommy, or daddy, is making a cake. They know they are going to get that cake. They know it's going to cook. Mommy doesn't miss cake. you know. Daddy can, can do, but not mommy. They know they are going to taste of it. They can see not the cake but the ingredients put together. They can see the oven. They know it's going to be baked, and they're excited. They run about in the house. Guess what? An hour later, it comes out. But when it comes out, can they eat it? No, because they get burnt. It's so hot. So sometimes God is just wait. It is ready. I've cooked it, it's baked, it's done, sorted. Just wait. Let it cool down. The right temperature for you, I will give it to you. Just wait. But we don't want to wait because the situation dictates that we cry out to God. Cry out to God. But in crying out to God, connect to the Spirit of God and see what the Spirit says. He might say, I've answered, wait. It's not for this season, it's for the next one. It's not for this month, it's for the next one. Or it's now. Open your eyes, see clearly. This is there for you now. I've given it to you. God is the God of deliverance. Amen? God is the God of deliverance. And I want to talk about God being the God of deliverance because many a times in being still, as I said, we actually forget why we need to be still. We forget what it means for us and certainly what it means for God. I want to talk about those who are not still before I start about God being the God of deliverance. King Saul is the man that was appointed by God Because the people wanted a king for themselves. It's not that God wanted him. The people ask, we want a king for ourselves. Other nations have a king. We don't. So they went to God complaining and said they want somebody for themselves so that they could look like other nations. When God says you are a holy nation a royal priesthood, it means he's already separated you. You cannot ask again to have the same thing that other people have because what you have is far better, is perfect in Christ Jesus. They went to say, We want a king for ourselves. So they got Saul. And Saul is enthroned by the man of God, Samuel. What is the first major action he takes? Disobedience to God's instruction. Because he was told, Wait for one, two, three, seven days. Wait. I'm coming. I'm coming with you to that point of battle. I'm coming. Just give me seven days. He didn't see the man of God. And for him, he heard the cries of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy, the, the stunting of the enemy. And wow, the man of God is still not coming. One day, two, three, four, five, he get to seven days, he says, enough. I need to make offering myself to the Lord. You are not qualified to do certain things. He decided to do take the offering, to make the offering, to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel comes in and says, what are you doing? Why did you decide to offend God that way? Because things that we do sometimes appear holy. They appear good. But it's a sin against God. Why did you decide? It looks like a sacrifice. It's just a sacrifice. I was waiting for you. And actually I saw that my men were discouraged along the way. And I didn't want them to leave me. I panicked, I would be the only one in battle, and you were not coming, so I did it. The first major action of the king of the people was to disobey God. And at that point, when he was enthroned, there was a conditional, a condition to this, uh, him being enthroned. It was, God will put your prosperity on the throne if, if you follow God. And obey him all the days of your life. So by the time he gets and he becomes kings of Israel, he has the promises of God that his posterity will be on the lineage. And he loses it as the first action. He loses it. And God said, This day you've lost the kingdom. The kingdom has gone out of you. What I'm trying to say to you, brothers and sisters, is this the heat of the situation will dictate at times, will force us to take action. It will force us to sometimes compromise. It will force us to do things that are unpalatable before God. They are not godly. But the reality is we need to be able to wait on God. To wait on God. Because he is always the God of deliverance. He never comes late. He never comes too early. He comes with the right solution just at the point of time. So please remember this, that God will not leave you, He will not forsake you. Psalm 1 to 1 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence my help comes from? It sounds like rhetorical questions. Where does your help come from? But if you look at the first, Psalm 1 to 1, I will I take it a one to one with God. A one to one with God. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. It is a call to action. It's not just being still and not doing anything. It's being still and look up to God with purpose, with faith, with expectation that are in Christ. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. It's not the hill for what it is. I can say I will lift up my eyes unto this mountain. It's meaningless. Is what does the hill represent? It's a place of victory for the king, a place where the king demonstrates his glory. I mean, King the Christ Jesus went, and all these continents changed. He was on a hill. He was in front of his apostle. Many a times, God used hills in the Bible as a significant, as a significant um, element to demonstrate that his glory starts from there. Moses looks up and saw the burning bush. He was not in the valley. He was not in the valley. He looked up. Was onto the hill. And from the hills, he say, from where my herbs come from. The object of sight should determine whether you are victor or not. The object of sight should determine whether you are victor or not. We look up to the hills, but we look up to the hills with our spiritual eyes. And we know then that we are victor because our help comes from God. Amen? Amen. He said, my help comes from Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So the God who created, the God who has infinite power, is the God who effectively gives us help. Amen? And then go to the next one says, he will not allow your foot to be moved. That's being still. No matter how strong the wave is, you are anchored in God. You are still in God. He will not allow, so he will not allow things to happen to you that you cannot handle. And when it's too much for you, he will just take it away. That's the God that you serve. Amen? That's the God that you serve. Then he continues to say that, the, behold, he who keeps Israel. Now, can I say something to you? We keep talking about Israel and not always understanding Israel. God has kept Israel from the onset. It is his special people. He's kept Israel. And he's never failed in keeping Israel. Are we agreeable to that? So when the Psalmist say, he who keeps Israel, is that he who has the track record of keeping Israel safe against all the attacks of the enemy. You can name the Amorites, you can name the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Hittite. You name them. For years and years, hundreds of years, God has been keeping Israel up to this day. The one who has that strong track record of keeping Israel, not not one person, a nation, a people. He's the one who neither slumber nor sleep. He's the one who watches over you. Amen. He has that track record. So if it's by seeing you believe, then see what God has done with Israel. And believe that he will do it for you. Amen. That's the evidence that we see. see he says, you shall neither slumber, you shall not sleep. Because he's your keeper, your shade at your right hand. And then he goes on, you will preserve your soul, you will preserve your going out and your coming in. But that's the God that we serve. So God is effectively the God of deliverance. Let's look at Second Kings 7. There is a very important story in Second Kings 7, which is um, effectively a scripture that talks to us about a great famine in the land. So for those of you who are feeling that the situation is really dire, there is no way out, there's a famine, I can't see, tomorrow I don't know what tomorrow is made of. Look at this. There was a famine in the land. And what did God do? He said he used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He used four lepers. Four lepers. Look at 2 Kings 7.1. He says, Elisha replied, he hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. About this time tomorrow. A share of the finest flour will be sold for a shekel and two of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And the story, the background is there is famine in the land and Israel is encircled. They cannot go out. There is no food. They started eating their own children. It is bad, as bad as it can be. And they're crying out to the Lord We are going to be destroyed. What's going to happen? And God is using these four lepers. They were just sitting outside of the city gates. And he's using them. And they say, well, actually, if we stay at the city gate, we are going to be killed by the enemy. So we might as well go to the enemy and start begging for food over there. Maybe they will have mercy on us and give us a bit of food. And if not, what could happen? They will kill us. But if we stay there, we will die anyway. So let's just go. And the lepers went back. They went And when they went, God just multiplied the sound of their footsteps. And the enemy thought that, oh, Israel is marching against them. And they started panicking to the point they started killing each other. God delivered Israel that way through four lepers. And then what happened? Then when they went back, the lepers went back. They were happy. They got a couple of things on the way. And they get there and they find out, oh, yes, it's free. There's no enemy. We can't see them anymore. Where are they? And that's when the way Israel realized that God had moved and God had set them free. And they realized what the prophet had said, that by this time tomorrow. Effectively, he was saying, by this time tomorrow, you will eat in plenty. Can I say to someone today, if the situation is that bad today, remember God will say, by this time tomorrow, you will have in plenty. Remember the Lord who can make things happen out of nothing. Amen. Remember the God who fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Remember him. That he can make things out of nothing. You can remember the God who takes the tides out of the belly of the fish to put into the offering basket. Remember the God who brings uh, water, rain, downfall after years of, of, of dryness. Remember the Lord who resurrected the dry bones just by his spirit. Remember the God who told his children that by this time tomorrow you will have in plenty. What is too difficult for our God? Nothing. For with the Lord, nothing shall be impossible. First Samuel 11:9. In First Samuel in Ne, a similar type of story, but the only difference is this: is the fact that the Ammonites now want to put to shame the children of God. They want to put them to shame, and they are now surrendered. And they tell the children of God, we want to come in, and we want to actually sort of pierce the eyes of any of the male in your midst so that we put a shame to the name of the God that you serve. And the children of God just say, okay, fine, let's just wait a little bit. Before you do it, let's just find out if by any chance there is help around. And if there is any chance, then if there is nobody to come and sit and fight for us, then do as you please. And they send their messengers they send their messengers and then Saul responds. He was king at the time and he responds and he gets angry and calls Israel to go to war with him. He sends the messenger back to the people who were captive and they say, No, Lord will come. And he says this. He said, They sent to the messenger who came, This you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead. That's where the people of God were. Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Israel was threatened. But by this time tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you should have help. And that's where we need to remember that the time is nothing for God. But the way you cry out to God and the way you stay still matters. Because if you do not have faith, it is just effectively something that is not powerful. It doesn't have the, the power to touch God. God can have grace. He can be merciful. He can hear your cry. But remember even Anna we talked about earlier. Penina was battering her with taunting. You can't have a child, look at you, childless woman, you will never have a child. The same way the enemy is telling you today, you cannot have a husband, you cannot have a family, you cannot have a good health, you cannot have anything. The enemy is taunting you. And she was crying because she was bitter. But what did she do? She remembered she had a God and decided to pray and cry to God. So rather than crying with the tears, I always tell my son when he starts, this is crocodile tears, you know, it doesn't move me. You know, you can cry, you can, and that's when, when he does it, it's even louder than when he cries normally. (laughs) And I'm like, you cry, let the neighbor hear you cry. I'm not doing it. Right? That's crocodile tears. So Now when I say crocodile tears, he knows and he starts laughing. So he goes from crying to laughing. But that's it. That's a child for you. But there are times we go with crocodile tears to God. Oh, it's too difficult, Lord. It's too difficult for God. Lord, Lord, what will I do? What will I do? We need to raise up our head and know that him that we approach needs to be feared, needs to be revered, but needs to be asked to with faith. The Bible says, he who has no faith, let him not believe. Let him not believe that he will receive anyone from the hand of the Lord. So how do we go to God when we are in that situation? Do we go with faith or do we just go with crocodile tears? What's going to define you? How do you approach your God? Jesus is also the one who has the ability to quieten the storms in your life. Mark 4 3 9 tells us that Jesus rebuked the waves, he rebuked the winds, and he said, Be still. the same thing he can do for you. Be still. At the voice of the Lord, things happen. Be still. And that's why, actually, I would want you to be still and to rejoice. I want to read from Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18, if we can open Habakkuk. Because that's effectively what has dictated the way I've decided to react to illness. Habakkuk 3, 17 it says that though the fig tree... Does not bird and there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. You say yet, yet, yet. Can you say yet? Though I'm not feeling wet, yet. Though I'm not having enough money, yet. Though I'm not seeing my vision fulfilled, yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God. My Savior. Can we declare that today? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the Lord, my Savior. And if anything, that you remember today is this God is not unaware of your situation. He knows. Trust me, He knows. The Bible records that He calls us the apple of His eyes. So He is in love with you so if he's not aware of your situation and he will bless you he also wants you to have the right attitude in that to rejoice to pray to have faith to trust that he will come to. why? because he was promised the bible tells us he's faithful and he says he will also do it so it's important that we remember our God as such and I will close it there But before I close, I would want to just say something to you. What happens when a message like this comes is that we try to mirror what is in our situation. We try to understand what is effectively making us weak, making us wanting like giving up. May I say that situation will happen is part of life. They will happen. Until God calls us we are called to be overcomers. So it means that in the heavenly realms, we are called overcomers. But whether we want to be effectively overcomers or not depends on the reactions that we have when we face those challenges. And God wants you to be still today, to remember that panicking, fear, are just weapons the enemy uses. To remind you that you don't have to call the situation yours. You don't have to attribute it to yourself when God has the power to save to remind you that all things are possible with those who believe to remind you that you are loved by God so be still and know that he is God it is important that you do that and I think it ties in very well with what again our sister shared earlier this morning leave here today don't look at the situation with the same intent look at it Knowing that it is temporary, it is but for a moment. Because the Bible tells us that nothing that we are going through, nothing that is your right now, is eternal. There is nothing on this world that is eternal, including situations. They are just there to sometimes test your faith. Sometimes help you be approved before God. You know, spiritual resilience. We like calling ourselves prayer men and women of prayer. But prayer has this. He goes to the author of life. And he goes to the one whose hand is not shortened. He goes to the one who's here is not deaf. He goes to the one who has created you and conceived you. He goes to the one who is within you. Who knows your deep desire. Who knows what makes you feel sorry, hurt. What kills you within. He's also come to the one who... Is the helper. So as you go, please go with a different outlook on what this situation is. Take it for what it truly is. It's not there to undo you, it's not there to kill you, because no one can. God has his hand over you. But just go and tell God, look, Lord, it is not my situation, it's just a situation. I'm not attached to it, it's just temporary and I speak your life I speak your hope I speak your help I speak your love over it over me again and again and again and again because as I press on I know that you are able Amen Let's stand up this morning Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today For further information about King's Church